Hi, I'm Susanna, and this is The Susanna Gibbs Show. My next guest is Mark Brzezinski. He's created and helped craft brands like Payway, Velvet Taco, and more recently, Bond Shop and Busy's Burgers. He's got a new book out called Fork Fight. He holds no punches talking about himself, the restaurant world, and the brands that he helped create. It's a really fun ride, and he is quoted as saying, the restaurant business is a show unlike any other. I'm inclined to agree. At the end, we'll do our restaurant tip. <laughs> At the end, we'll do our insurance tip of the week. So stick around for that. Hope you enjoy. Mark Brzezinski, welcome to the show. You've had many titles throughout your career from the brands that you helped create and walk away from, Payway being one of the ones that you reference in the book. Why did you decide, you know what, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to write Fork Fight. Well, um, you know, just, just being somebody who's always wanted to write, somebody who's always written, somebody who, you know, or originally wanted to go to school for journalism. I used to write for my high school newspaper, and I wrote poetry to to women that I was too shy to talk to. Um, so I just somewhere along the way, I picked up a, a, a gift, a skill for writing, and I've just always practiced it. I've never made a living from it and never thought about writing a book, but during the pandemic especially, when my business, the restaurant business, was so severely affected, uh, I traveled. I'm an American Airlines executive platinum. I've always traveled, you know, 100,000 plus miles a year. Well, during COVID, I wasn't doing what I normally do. So what do you do instead? You can you can only watch TV so much. So I fell back on my love of writing and, and decided that was the time for me to be able to compose the type of book that I always had in my mind. And that actually reminded me, because you said, I went to um, Mark's book signing on Saturday at his new concept, which was super fun. But you yep. thought about a career in journalism, but somebody said no. Who was that? <laughs> somebody? <laughs> <laughs> How about the guy who was paying the bill for me to go to college, my dad? Uh, and better in, in different words than you just used, by the way. Um, he told me that that wasn't going to be a possibility that he would pay for me to get a degree in journalism. So uh, he said if I would, if he was going to pay the bill, I was going to go study business. So I ended up uh, getting a degree, uh, a bachelor in, in business, which didn't do me a lot of good. I maybe it did in the long run. I'm still in business. You are, but. Uh, it, let's just say I didn't put it to use right away. How about that? Yeah, that makes sense. So I am, um, from the get-go, I'm probably about midway through. I am yay far through your book. This okay. is it, but this way, which I'm totally loving it. Um, I think from the get-go, the hard thing about reading memoirs and nonfiction sometimes is it just feels like work. And I loved from the beginning, from the very first moment, I was drawn in. It became you, obviously, were this character that I was following, that I was rooting for. But I found it interesting you were, at times, the hero, the anti-hero, the villain, as you went through these ups and downs. Yeah. Did yeah. you think about that when you were writing it? Like, each chapter is almost like its own little story in a way. Yeah, they're, they're, they're individual stories woven together by the common 
commonality of the, being me that was part of the group, right? I mean, I I almost felt like I was outside of myself looking back on what happened and writing about it. It was always obviously from my perspective, but I never intended it to be just what I felt. I always intended it to be a much more chronicle of the stories of how things are done. And I just happened to be one of the people in the room. Um, and sometimes I was more important in the room and sometimes I was, I was less important in the room. But all the time, it was always from my perspective and what I believe the group, not just me as an individual, but the, what the group was trying to accomplish. So I don't know if that answers your question. I don't, you say villain, I'm trying to think back. There were times I had not some nice words to say about people that I worked with. And that's just the honesty of it. But all the time, I think I was trying to do what I thought was right. Correct. And that is, when I say villain, I mean, um, every villain, this is something you learn early on in acting, every villain thinks they're the hero. But in a story, <laughs> you have a hero and you have a villain to have a good story, right? Like it's one of those components, every Superman has their Lex Luthor. But there were times when you were your own worst enemy i don't you haven't i don't know what chapter you say you're that far i don't know what you've read but i i get very very raw at times about the decisions i made and how they affected me uh it was very important for me susanna to make sure that i didn't you know gloss up or you know kind of kind of airbrush the the times of my life that were very desperate and very very bad um, I think that's part of the arc. Well, and that's honestly, that's where I think I'm, I'm probably, I'm at Bengal coast right now, yeah. which is, oh. um, it's interesting how the tone has shifted because it's almost like a, a clinical look. Um, <laughs> it's not as emotional as some of the other chapters, but it probably was one of the more emotional periods in your life. It's just, it's very clinical. And I feel like you must have spent so much time going through that time period of like, okay, what was right? What went wrong? You learned some of the biggest things, some of the biggest lessons when things don't go your way. Yeah. Um, definitely Bengal Coast, the Payway chapter, the Bengal Coast chapter, and the chapter right after Bengal Coast, which is called the Aftermath are probably the heartbeat of the book, right? I mean, that's where we build up to the period of time when I had the most success. I I was enjoying that success and then boom, the cliff came. So the chapter after Bengal Coast is is titled without giving it away called The Aftermath. So if you're, you, you, you know, strap on your seatbelt when you get to Aftermath because that's quite the roller coaster ride downhill. Oh, okay. I'm excited. I haven't, I haven't quite gotten there yet. So the other questions, you are not shy about naming names in this book. Is that something when you think, all right, I'm going to write this book. Um, I'm going to, is Phil Romano going to call me and say, Mark, what? Why would you say that about me, even though it's true? But did you think about that time of somebody knocking on your door and going, dude, I'm going to fist fight you now because of what you said. I'm an arrogant, smug, uh, yeah. etc." Yeah, well, 
I'm six four, about two seventy five. So anybody wants to take a smack at me, he's probably going to get a smack back. Although I <laughs> do that. No, yeah, absolutely. You, I, I thought about that. I obviously consulted an attorney or two about what my liability might be uh, uh, in terms of an anti defamation. But what's interesting to me is that if the people reading it that I that I may break over the coals a little bit, if they really look at it. There's nothing dishonest about what I say, and probably it's best to leave sleeping dogs lie, because not all the stories are all the stories, if you know what I mean. There's more to it that could be revealed that in certain instances, probably people would say it's probably better to leave it where it is than to, than to scratch that itch a little bit more and see what see what comes out. And I don't say that in a threatening way. I just say that in a realistic way. There's always so much of a story you can tell in a book, right? But if somebody were to to decide that that it was worth coming after me legally, well, then guess that opens the book up to more of a story, if you know what I mean. It brings it more the corroboration and more other opinions of people that I know would share my opinion. And I'm not sure people want that to happen. It's almost very uh, Godfather-esque. Open the door. Go ahead. Uh, open the door. Uh, see. Open the can of worms and see what happens. Well, you, you, you got, you know what, what's the expression? You got to break a couple eggs to make an omelet, right? I mean, at some point, you just can't deal with everything up here. You got to get down and dirty with them. And, and I've just never had a fear of that you know, the repercussions of something like that, because as one of my attorneys told me, the truth is your best ally. And truth. there's nothing at all untruthful or dishonest in the book, as hard as it may be sometimes to read. Do you think, would you consider yourself, do you have like the, um, are you, do you like to fight? Are you a fighter? Fighting oh, no, spirit? No. no? No, I never had to. I mean, because of my size and my nature, my general nature is very congenial. Uh, I don't. I don't put myself. I'm not a combative person. I don't. I don't shy away from controversy. But I'm not a combative type. I don't. If Phil Romano were to square up to me, and and you know say let's go at it, I'd say why? I'd say what's what's the purpose? What are we? Get, what are either of us going to gain at the end of it? Right? I mean, doing physical harm to somebody just. I don't know. What does that accomplish? I don't, it's not my thing. Well, I can see where the congenial nature probably allowed you to bring a lot of people to the table, so to speak, to yes. come and, and fund your investments and fund your, your, your concepts. Um, and you've come up with so many, so many concepts. Um, what's, what's one of your favorites that you've had throughout the years? Well, you mentioned Bengal Coast. I'm very quick to to mention Bengal Coast as probably the closest to my heart and to my nature as anything I've done. Um, it, it was a pure and original concept in that nothing like it existed that I knew of. Uh, I w I've never really been somebody to copy somebody else. It's not my thing. I like to be innovative, not replicative, if there is such a word. Um, I would say Bengal Coast for sure uh, was something that I put on near the top of the shelf. But there was, you know, Bond Shop, which I'm part of now, which I did for Yum Brands, is an extremely exciting concept that has great legs underneath it. 
that we're hoping to kind of build up again. Um, I've, I've always loved Payway just because we took something that didn't exist and turned it into a national powerhouse uh, of over 200 units in seven years. So as a success story, Payway is certainly at the top of the rung ladder of success stories. But each one, each one had a little something to it that keeps a soft spot in my heart. Uh, but if you ask me, Payway, Bengal Coast, and probably Bond Shop right now, Velvet Taco, the- that out. Hold on a second. Oh, Velvet, Velvet Taco, so great, good. Was great fun. It was a great group. We accomplished great things. So if you just look at uh, uh, assessing what you did, Velvet Taco's right up there at the top two. So what are you doing? Is um, what are you doing with Larry Levine, the founder of Chili's, and John Larry Frank? And I, Larry and I uh, and John Frankie actually. Um, Frankie. Were, Frankie and I worked together on Velvet Taco and developed a great friendship from that. Larry and I have always been friends ever since my Brinker days. We've always threatened to do something together, and uh, when I was thinking about a burger joint, I mean, who better to bring on board than the the founder of probably the the first and most um, um, well-known burger concept in the country in Chili's, you know, and uh, I could have done worse than have Larry and, and John along with me. So that's why, that's why we formed the group. Gotcha. So jumping back to Bengal Coast, because you talk about not knowing another place like it. I have a, a friend of mine who's a chef and restaurateur in LA, um, and he's kind of snooty about LA being like the epicenter of the universe. And I'm going to make him listen to this and he'd be like, you're right, Susanna, I am. Do you Uh, think Bengal Coast might have done differently in a different city? um, Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, in New York, there was a place called uh, Spice Market down in the meatpacking district that had elements of what I wanted. Uh, but I didn't see any other place around the country when I traveled. There was a there was a place in D.C. at the time. There was a place in Boston, uh, in New York. There was Tabla with Chef Floyd Cardoz, which was who was really one of the trendsetters in Indian food in our country. Uh, rest rest in peace. He passed during COVID, but he was always kind of a mentor, friend of mine, who got me most interested in taking Indian food to a more modern level. Uh, instead of the real traditional uh, type restaurants. Um, But, you know, it's funny, Susanna, you were at the book signing. Earlier before the book signing started, a a dear friend of mine who's a Dallas restaurateur and developer named Mike Hogue, you might know the name, Dallas Chop House, Dallas Fish Market, downtown. Um, He loved Bengal Coast. He was always a huge Bengal Coast fan. As a matter of fact, he said to me, you know, if I could do it all over again, if we ever get the, the opportunity, since I'd love to reinvent, recreate Bengal Coast. I get that more than any other comment from people who were there. People who were at Bengal Coast were unbelievably, unbelievably loyal and, and attached emotionally to it because there was nothing like it. Uh, it just happened at the wrong time. I opened it's it. like relationships, right? Like you're either like your timing is perfect or your timing is it's not going to work, even though all the elements are there. And this was yeah. during 2008, right? It was a financial crisis of eight, nine and 10. It was a heart of when I tried to make bang- make a go of it at Bengal. 
Would it work? Yeah, I think it would work again. I, I think it would have to be in a better location than the first one. The first one we chose just simply because we we're running out of time and we needed to have something and we had to match up timing, cost, all those kind of conditions. Uh, and it, it happened, but I don't think it would have worked anywhere at that time. I think now it would work. Certainly Las Galenas, Addison, mm. you know, the Indian population here has exploded. Oh, there's a huge population, especially up north, Las Colinas, Addison. So, I think it would work again. But I, but again, you can't do an ethnic restaurant that appeals only to that ethnic base, right? You, you have to appeal to outside of that ethnic. An Indian restaurant has to appeal to uh, native uh, to American. This has to appeal to the Mexican population. It has to appeal to a broad range of people. It just can't be. You look in the dining room, and everybody in there is Indian, right? You know that 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 would not carry Bengal Coast to the next level. You know, I mentioned a minute ago. You mentioned um, his. You said his name was John Hogue, Dallas Fish Market. Mike Hogue. Mike. Hogue. Mike Hogue. Thank you. Um, my neighbor Randy Hearn was uh, worked at Dallas Fish Market. I think at a, he was the chef there. But and I have this question. Um, it just happened to segue into it because of you talked about Dallas Fish Market. Um, so if you're the ideas guy, right? You're the concept guy. You don't cook, um, but you have a lot of experience with it. Um, and there's this whole genre of TV shows about the chef. And the chef gets all the glory um, in all these amazing Michelin star restaurants. But nobody talks about the concept guy. How do you feel about this? You don't, it's, no. It's doesn't bother me what whatsoever because I'm I'm very comfortable doing what I do in the shadows. Um, the book, actually, the book gave me an opportunity to tell the stories and my role in it. But I didn't write the book to remind people, hey, by the way, don't forget I did you know this or that. Um, and in fact, in the book, as you read through it, I I I don't take any more than my share of the credit. And I most of the time take more than my share of the blame. So it just again going back to my nature, Suzanne. I'm just not I'm not that guy that, you know, is is we're raising his hand in the back of the room back and forth. You know, I'm I'm comfortable doing what I do and and you know, accepting whatever reward I get from it and also accepting whatever uh, you know, punishment I get for it. Um uh, that's just that just goes with my nature. Well, and that I, takes me back to the initial thing. You are the hero, your anti-hero, the villain, because I, you know, and that's what makes you very likable, I think, when you read the book as far as following a character, because you have, you have a big journey that you go on. You learn well, a lot of lessons, hard ones, good ones. But I mean, were there times when you were writing this when, and this is, I love this Hemingway quote, writing is easy. You just sit at the typewriter and bleed. <laughs> um, you know, because you do you you do some pretty good soul searching in this book. Were there times when you just thought, "Man, I can't do this anymore today"? Yeah, I hey, listen. I, I'm I don't I don't mind sharing, but I got very emotional in writing several several of the chapters. I would stop, I would reflect, and 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 you know, I'd have some emotion. I I'm not going to deny that I would stop and I'd cry a little bit in remembering some of the harder things to remember. Uh, and in fact, I think I told you this, maybe I didn't, but 
I did a blind audition to read the book, to narrate the book for Audible, and they chose my my audition over professional readers. Uh, and so I got to narrate the book for Audible. That was a whole nother experience. That was two days of grueling, sitting in a dark room, reading from a tablet. But we had to stop several times. I I, I was taken to emotion reading my words, and we had to stop. Uh, yeah. It's very hard, hard to look back. You know that. Anybody that's had experiences in the past that were painful, it's, it's not easy to go back and look at them again from a different perspective. When you look back, how do you, how do you feel about it? Well, I, I have no regrets about anything I've done other than perhaps I didn't manage my success as well as I could have and maybe should have for those around me. Uh, I, I, became, I say in the book, I became a little too selfish with my success uh, and became a little too, uh, I didn't, I'm never an arrogant person, but I probably ignored the possibility of failure too much and, and considered myself bulletproof. But as I look back on the landscape of what I've done, I, 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 I love the things I was able to do and the people I was able to do them with. No regrets. I think regret is a hard word because anything that if you change it, you wouldn't be in the space that you're at now, even though you're like, well, what, I wouldn't have minded if that would have gone a little differently, but the lessons you learned from it. Yeah, hard. the only job I was ever really fired from, which was recently during COVID because our company wasn't doing good, we had to trim back. Even that, being fired from that allowed me time to write a book. Yeah. So and look at everything and, and say, okay, there was something bad happened, but what if anything good came out of it. And humility sometimes can be a good thing. If you're feeling too full of yourself and you fail, humility could be a nice thing to come out of that, right? Yeah. You could yeah. say, or, or, you know, opportunity to do something else, like write a book. So I don't know. That's why I want to, that's why I want to lecture and, and talk because I want people to maintain hope. Every single person I've talked to has a COVID story about how COVID affected them and what it changed and what grew. And um, it'll be interesting how it continues to shape and affect our lives, even the farther we move away from it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They're, it's part of our fabric now. It's part of our history. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I got the other good thing about coming to your um, signing is I got to meet the other Mark who charming man so charming um how did you how did you guys meet and who is he mark sturtz uh is a writer now he's a writer i'm a i'm a restaurateur he's a writer um and he is unbelievably good with the written word i mean he just has such command of vocabulary and also an ability to compose those words in a way that i couldn't do i like to say that mark was my sous chef he took an idea and he seasoned it and he kept on working with it until it was right. You know, I had the, the grand idea for the book. He absolutely took it to another level. He took it to warp speed. But I met Mark originally when he was a, a food critic, a restaurant critic for The Observer. And he wrote a, a, a fairly biting review of one of my first restaurants, Tin Star, which opened in the Quadrangle in 1999. And he tells the story about how I wrote back to him a typewritten letter that basically... Oh, he did. He told me. <laughs> uh, that, that 
that disputed some of his findings. We didn't really develop a relationship or friendship from that. But then again, when I opened Bengal Coast, he wrote an incredibly positive and very glowing review of Bengal Coast. And I connected, reconnected with him after that and said, I appreciated how much he, how much effort he took to do that. And would he be interested in, you know, just maintaining a friendship that we kept trying? He told me, he told me that when you wrote him back, you critiqued his writing and his story of of <laughs> your reviews. Like, oh yeah, well here's what I think about your review and your yeah. writing. That he is he is a lovely lovely man, and he seems like he made yeah, a good we, partner. We'll be friends for life, regardless of what happens with the book. And and I will always admire and appreciate his ability to compose words. Excellent. So. So what's next for you? I know you you're you've got your Busy's Burgers yep, yep. concept, and then the Bon. I'm bon blanking shop. on the name. Yep, yep. Bon Shop. Um, I don't know, Susanna. This is all I know, right? I mean, I'm a I'm a career I'm a lifer. You know, I don't I don't have a retirement plan. I don't have a retirement home somewhere that I can't wait to get to. Uh, my restaurants have always been my homes. They've always been my past, my present, and my future. Uh, I don't have a family. I think I shared with you that uh, the business has pretty much destroyed my my relationships over the years uh, because of the time I spend with them. Uh, my restaurants have always been my, my affairs, so to speak. Um, and I just, I just am comfortable in this lifestyle opening and 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 trying to develop restaurants and i'll be doing it as long as as long as you're doing what you're doing or everybody else is doing what they're doing i'll be doing this so if i talk with you in a year what do you hope if 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 i talk to you in a year and you're like man if my book could do this or this is what i want from it i would be so happy Obviously, it's about the journey. I get that. Honestly, I think, you know, you seem to be at a place where you have recognized the journey is the whole thing. But what do you hope this well, book I'd love, does? I'd love, you know, I taught for a while. I taught at the University of Houston at the Hilton School of Hotel Management down there for three years when I lived in Houston. Uh, I, I, I did uh, a stint as an instructor, not as a professor. I was a visiting instructor for three years. I love teaching, bottom line. I love, I love to be in a room and share experiences and get to the depth of what it takes to do what I do or help people do it for themselves. So what I'd really like to do is get on a lecture circuit. I'd like to be a guest speaker at conferences. I'd like to speak at, at universities and schools which have hospitality or entrepreneur programs. I believe that my experiences, anybody that reads my book I think could easily translate that into what a great lecture series that would be, right? To learn the ins and outs and the ups and downs of entrepreneurship as it relates to the restaurant business. Having said that, it's for any entrepreneurial venture, if you ask me, the journey is the same. It, you apply it to the restaurant business, but it can apply to pretty much any business that you could, you could say. So my hope is that it hits the restaurant community really in a nice way, but it has crossover effect. Last week, my publisher told me that it was the number one new release 
on Amazon in the uh, food and restaurant category, which was kind of fun. Um, I don't, I, yeah, I don't That's know awesome. if there were like one other book that sold one copy and I sold two. I, you know, you, you don't, I don't get that information, but it's, it's nice. And I like to build on that momentum, you know, even this podcast, thank you very much, gets the work or about what I'd like to do. Well, I think people are really going to like your book. I don't think it's even people specific to Dallas or Houston, by the way. I went to uh, Nino's. I remember I was there during that whole period. If I could hit rewind on my life, I bet you money I sat there at tables and we knew the same wait staff and everything. Especially all the restaurants here, you know, so, but I think to your credit, anybody in Dallas is going to love this book because they know all the restaurants, but anybody in the restaurant business and the foodies out there who love a good journey and a good story, um, it's a good read. Thank you, I'm Suzanne. enjoying and, it. You know, sure. There are a lot of great people that other people know. Bob Sambal, Bob Steak and Chop House, a dear friend of mine. You know, you mentioned Larry Levine, who started Chili's, Randy DeWitt and Jack Gibbons, who own Velvet Taco, who, who invited me in to help them with that uh, and have whiskey cake and 60 vines and, and Pardeep Sharma at India Palace. I mean, I could, I could go on, but there are so many connections to so many different people here in town. Phil Romano, I'm having breakfast with Doug Brooks, who was the CEO Brinker for a number of years tomorrow. Uh, it, it, it does cross over a lot of lines and it includes a lot of other people other than myself. And I think I think they're great stories. I hope people feel that way. Yeah. Is there anything else you uh, want to talk about or how people can find your book? Well, I have, you know, forkfightbook.com. Uh, I also have my website, mbrzinski.com. People can can look up some of the things I've done. Uh, certainly the book is for sale on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, all the usual suspects. Uh, I'd love for people to buy the Audible and listen to my voice, tell the stories if they want. I had two people call me today and said, hey, they were traveling and they're going to listen to their audio book while they're traveling. So they can't escape me. They may be a plane, but they're going <laughs> to they're going to have to put up with my voice anyway. But yeah, that's it. Honestly, just I hope the book is a success. I hope it leads to another path in my career. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm just going to be grinding away. Uh, years ago, I had a therapist who called me a hustler. And I was like, a hustler had a negative term, but I'm okay being called a grinder. I definitely grinder. grind my way through everything I do. So, Well, thank you so much for making time to talk with me. Thank um, you, Suzanne. I appreciate really you fun. inviting I me on. I enjoyed it. So our insurance story of the week, we had a client call us and she said, hey, my earring went down the shower drain. I need to file a claim. She has jewelry coverage, so that's no problem. She calls back a week later and says, oh my gosh, guess what? We had a plumber come out. They plumbed the line. They found the earring. So I'm not going to file a claim. Great. She calls back a week later. Guess what? That wasn't the right earring. Apparently, her husband's previous wife had lost an earring down the drain at one point, And so she needed to file the claim again. She still has coverage, so all is well. That ends well. Thank goodness for jewelry coverage. If you want to connect with us, go to GiveAgencyDallas.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll see you next week.